So the mother comes into the kitchen and her little boy spins around. See, she says, I told you not to eat any cookies. I didn't, Mommy. Yeah, the the cookie jar lid sitting off on the counter. (laughs) He has chocolate on his hands and he has crumbs on his shirt and his face and and he's got a half-eaten cookie in his hand. And when he says, I didn't, Mommy, a piece of cookies... You know, it comes out of his. <laughs> uh, he, he, what he does, he doesn't want to deal with a, a really tough truth because, well, there's a better than even chance that the board of knowledge is going to be applied to the seat of learning, you know. <laughs> and he knows that, so he doesn't, he wants to avoid that. But of course, as adults, we never, we never, ignore blatant facts or we never try to yeah we never do that sort of thing do we (laughs) oh well the truth is nobody wants to deal with cold hard facts just hard it's like running into a brick wall we just don't really want to do it and especially when the fact points a finger at you one of my favorite things and this is a true story there's this meeting of scientists and they're talking about this theory and the proponent of the theory is up there and he keeps, people say yes, but, yes, but. And he keeps getting hammered and hammered. And finally he has to abandon the theory. It's just, I mean, it's just, you have to abandon the theory. And this is true. This is absolutely true. The scientist said there is nothing so sad as a beautiful theory being bludgeoned to death by a gang of ruthless facts. <laughs> That's actually true. So even scientists can't quite cope with the facts when they really wanted this instead of that. And we should not pretend we're different. <laughs> we know we do it. We know we do. Uh, you know, we've been caught with our hands in the cookie jar more than a few times. Or holding on to some belief. This is the big one for Christians. We hold on to a belief that we've had since we're children, even though it doesn't really withstand biblical scrutiny. <laughs> So we don't, we don't want those facts. We don't like them whether they're true or not. And nobody wants to deal with it. But there's one fact that we occasionally have to deal with. And we've come to a point in the scripture where we really have to look at it. And that scriptural fact is called election. We're working through the book of John. And we're in chapter 17, which is Jesus' prayer. For those of you who haven't been here, this is our third sermon on Jesus' prayer. I could do about six more, but... <laughs> But anyway, election. Now, when we hear election, we're Americans. We think everybody gets together, we all vote, somebody gets elected. The best person for the job gets elected, right? But when a theologian says election, he means that God selects certain people for reasons completely all his own. Something he's doing, we don't have anything to do with it. The capability of the human has nothing to do with it. We have nothing to do with God's choosing of us. It's, this choosing is done completely independently from the human being. That's, this is the difficult part. No human being ever chose Christ, by the way, unless he already belonged to the Father. Each one who is chosen was chosen by God before the world was formed. And absolutely without any merit of any kind by the human. And here's a really difficult corollary to that for you. If that's true, 
then there are those whom God did not choose. And he did not choose them before the world was formed. Well, they weren't worthy. Yeah, but we're not worthy either. (laughs) Why us and not them? And here's the amazing thing. No theologian knows. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Because the Bible is silent. Completely, absolutely silent as to why. Nothing. There's nothing there. Now, probably, this is my thing, probably because we don't have the capacity to understand. I think that's why it's silent. We wouldn't know if he told us. But we don't even know that because the Bible doesn't even tell us that. But there are some things that we do know about election. What the Bible does describe is the process by which election is accomplished, the means by which election is brought to our minds and hearts, the results of election among believers and in the world, and what our response to our election should be. And then, the most fun, the final goal of election. So just in case, if you're still not sold on the idea that we have absolutely no reason to be elected, a friend of mine, young guy, Pastor Jed, he had real difficulty with it. He was talking about it. Here's the deal. So there's no reason in me, nothing that I am or do, that makes me worth being saved. Yeah, that's that's what we're saying. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, what about this some are not elected thing? What, uh, or, you know, the election's real at all. So we're gonna we're gonna do a few things. First, we're gonna listen to what Jesus said in his prayer. Now remember, Jesus' prayer here to the Father is the culmination of his teaching ministry. So it serves as a summary of all that he's taught. And Jesus prayed, Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Before you became a Christian, you already belonged to the Father. Yours they were. You gave them to me. Whoa. Well, election is real. So we're going to go to the logical part. Pastor Jed, very logical, wants to hear the logical. He says, look, it's like this. God has foreknowledge. Yes, God knows all things. Even has what's called middle knowledge by philosophers. So if you turn left instead of right, he knows everything that would have happened forever because of all that. Every choice that anybody could make, any direction, anywhere, God knows all the results of everything that could ever happen anywhere. And he knows it all right now. He knows the past and his present. Everything is all... Amazing. God knows all that. Okay? He says, well, see, that's it. God has foreknowledge. So God knew that we would choose him when we got here, so he chose us. Huh? I said, that sounds really good. But Augustus Strong... Had a really good thought on that. <laughs> the first question is, is God wrong ever? Is God ever wrong? No, God never wrong. Never wrong. Okay, we're agreed. Well, here's the deal. If God's never wrong and God knew that he was going to choose us before we ever existed, then his foreknowledge, and he's never wrong, so his foreknowledge means that it was already fixed. Then, it's already set. Fixed. Boom, right back then. Because God knows, God can't be wrong. That must be it. Right? Oh, yeah. I guess that would be right. Well, and if it's fixed, if it's fixed, if there's fixity, then it implies, Augustus Strong said, fixity implies decree. We might say plan. Most people say plan. In God's plan, we were already elected before we ever were. 
It was fixed before we were. It can't be us. It can't be that God... It just doesn't work. Before you even existed or did any good or evil, God chose you. Don't know why, but there it is. Now, somehow, by the way, free moral agency, that's the theologian's way of getting around it. <laughs> free moral agency. The Bible's, the whole Bible's written, everything Jesus taught was all about why we should live and why we should choose him. Wait a minute, I thought God chose us ahead of time. Yes, that's right. But we're supposed to choose him. Yes, that's right. Yeah, no, the Bible doesn't have an answer to that either. <laughs> it just says, that's the way it is, people. Deal with it. So, there's a free moral agency of some sort, and we all choose to sin. Every human. Uh, so, that's that's another thing. There's, there's no reason any of us should ever get to heaven. So, it's not like that, but there's some sort of free moral agency. But election is the big deal. We're going to work at it. For God, for some reason, chose to pull some of us out of sin into his kingdom. He bestowed grace on us uh, to save us. And however election works, critical, we do not deserve grace. We don't. We get it. That's why it's called grace. But we're going to look at what the Bible does say about election, and election is just a major part of Jesus' prayer. So first, the process by which election is accomplished. Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. There's a lot there, but the process by which election is accomplished, it is through the work of the Divine Son, the Lord of the Prayer, as we said earlier, that our election occurs. We've heard it many times in the Gospel. There's only one way. So we're not going to rehash this. Let's move on to another truth. The means by which election is brought to our minds and hearts. How do we learn about election? And then... How are we able to believe, to know that we are elected? How can we know? For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. The words. The Bible. <laughs> That's how you find out. In many ways... We've been told that the Word allows us to understand intellectually and then go on to understand spiritually, that is, by faith. And the intellectual is great and necessary. I love logic and all those things. But that next step, the step of faith, which the Scriptures develop in us, that's what's so fantastic. The writer to the Hebrews, he said it so well. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Uh, the ESV translators, very accurate. <laughs> but I'm not sure they bring the strength of the statement out like I like it in the New King James Version. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Your faith grows as you read the Word. It becomes evidence. It, it has substance when you read it. The more you read it. We have Bible reading checklists out there. <laughs> you need help getting going. Get one of those. Check off each chapter as you go through. It really helps. Get Just read. Whatever it takes, read. And I, 
the conversational flow of the New Living Translation, you might like the way they say it. Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. In other words, now, I know. You read enough of the Bible over and over again and you know. The understanding of our minds is critical and great, but insufficient. Our finiteness, our our limited abilities, simply make it impossible for us to understand enough. We can't understand enough. Faith is necessary in our relationship with God. Our spiritual relationship. You've got to read and hear the Scriptures. An election is a perfect example of this need. I don't like it, to tell you the truth. I don't like the whole election doctrine. I don't really understand it, of course. But the Bible's clear that it's true. That's why we desperately need to study His Word and integrate it into every facet of our lives. Alright, next, our election results in unity. Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me. Why? That they may be one, even as we are one. Huh. And note that this unity is not just some future hope. It starts now, while we're still in the world. When Jesus was praying for all believers, he prayed that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Well, so that the world may believe, well, that has to be now. I mean, if it was eternity, everybody wouldn't be an issue. So it has to be for now. Our unity is a result of our being elected. All right. We're elected, and that should result in unity. And what's the point? To allow some in the world to believe in the unique God-man Jesus. And even more, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Unity displays our love. Interesting point. Buddhism. It puts love down. I don't know if you knew that. The guy that we now call the Buddha, he was developing this philosophy and he said, you know, this is a sad world. I need to get out. I'm with you, brother. (laughs) I don't have any problem with that idea. So his idea was, how do you get out? Well, he had this theory that we recycle, that you just keep getting born again as a gnat or a cow or a whatever you are, you're another human, or you just keep going around and around in life until finally you figure out how to get out of being attached to this world and you can finally escape from this world that way. That's how he thought it worked. And so he said, I got it. So he left his wife and his young child to fend for themselves and went off and sat under a tree. <laughs> True, that's, that's actually what happened. Uh, no, that's, that's not the best way to do it. God says that true love overwhelms this world. Forms a caring people. Uh, They need to understand our relationship to the Father. That's what's needed here. And if there's one thing the world doesn't understand, it's love. I mean, it doesn't take much to figure that out. But we end up with this too. That Remember, not all believe. There's going to be some people that aren't going to believe. And the world 
is jealous of our election. The word that brought us into our election, being born again, that changes our life, has a byproduct. You're going to love it. Okay, maybe not. The world will hate us. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Why would the world hate us? <laughs> because we, we're no longer a part of it. We talked last week about the artificial man, I forget what we called it, the reality of who people are. And they, they hate who they are, but they won't give up control of their sad lives that they need to to get where we are. You know, better the devil I know than the angel I don't know. Have you ever heard that expression? Wow. Uh, not me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Have you watched in movies lately? What's the solution to problems in the world? Go blow up everybody who just makes your life bad. What? <laughs> yeah. Better the devil I know than the angel I don't. Yeah. They're filled with fear. And the answer is, blow up everything that makes me afraid. or that, Because they don't want to trust God with their life. They don't want to just let go and say, okay, God, I trust you. Go for it. Yeah, no. They'd rather run their own lives all the way to destruction than let the Word separate them from the world. The world they hate, by the way. <laughs> but the world is what they choose. And the choosing, if you will, is more important to them than the freedom that they would have in Christ if they just gave up their lives to Him. <sighs> and that, that's another result of election that's sometimes hard to understand. Election separates us from the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you recall, sanctify is to separate for holy use. And catch this. The concept of our separation from the world is in verses 6 and 9 and 11 and 14 and 15 and 16 and 18 and 19 and 21 and 23. Okay? In this prayer. Maybe important. Maybe. Jesus prayed a lot about this point. So clearly it's a critically important truth. And it's absolute. We are separated from the world by the Word. Because that's what is true. <laughs> and those in the world would rather believe the lie they choose than the truth God reveals. Again, they don't want to be dependent on anybody. Not even their Creator God. So... So there are some, even some we might be very close to, who we are separated from spiritually now. And one day, that separation will be absolute unless they turn to Christ. So, if you're like me, I think you will be, you'll be excited by this truth. We are elected to go into the world. <laughs> As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Apostle Paul, he got pretty excited about this truth. Listen to what he wrote the Corinthian church. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. 
To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. You know, what an incredible opportunity we have. You see, here's the deal. We don't know who's elected. Remember, God does this. We don't know. Anyone might be. We are set apart by his word, but we're still here where we can become all things to all people. And maybe, just maybe, we can be involved in the salvation of some. We don't know who's elected. So really we need to treat everyone as if they are. (laughs) Give them all a chance. And of course, and we end up, what's, what's the ultimate goal of election? Well, you probably guessed, our election results in eternal life. You can't read the Bible without reading about eternal life. Even in the Old Testament, you get there quite a bit. But in the New Testament, my gracious, you can't trip more than a page and you're there again. And God arranged, well, for some beautiful insight between this prayer and eternal life. You see, Peter was listening that night when Jesus prayed. And later, he wrote these words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. <laughs> you, you get the feeling he's excited here? He, he can't figure out where do I stop? I just got to more and more words, more words, more words about this. It's just a wonderful statement. And the point is, eternal life is a state of being. A statement about our nature then, what our nature will be, which is already changed through Jesus. I mean, we are born again. We have eternal life, but, well, when you inherit something, well, when somebody dies, guess when you inherit eternal life? <laughs> oh yeah, you got to die. Okay, well, unless the rapture occurs, but that's a whole other thing. But that's why we can have it in the sense of owning it. We own eternal life now, but we have to pass through death to finally inherit it. As Paul again wrote of the wonder of election, he couldn't help but glorify God. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire a possession of it, to the praise of his glory. A point here. It's about eternal life. Not eternal existence. It's about who you will live with, who you will interact with. In real life, in this life, physical life, a man, a person, a woman needs involvement with the environment. In other words, physically, with your, your five senses. You've you, you got to be involved. Now, some people only have four. Actually, Helen Keller only had three. <laughs> 
But wow, did she get involved in life? <laughs> she used every one of them. And if someone ceases to interact with any of their senses, they're dead. Okay, that, they're dead. <laughs> Spiritually, eternal life, that's a more important sense of living with God the Father, with Jesus. And to lack that is spiritual death. Some, some will suffer spiritual death forever. There will be no interaction with the Creator. He's the life-giving Spirit. If you're not interacting with Him, you haven't got life. I love word pictures. The Bible has some absolutely amazing word pictures. This one that I hope you're familiar with. If you're not, you should read it later. But it's Martha. She was standing by the tomb of her brother, crying, talking to Jesus. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Can you imagine Martha right then? <laughs> She's weeping. She's out no hope. Her brother's gone. And all of a sudden, the hope is there. She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ. The Son of God who is coming into the world. Then she ran off to get her sister to tell her to. <laughs> we need our minds to understand that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And our election, planned by God before the world was formed, was accomplished in Him. But on the other hand, <laughs> it's also our belief that He is the Christ, the Son of God, that demonstrates that we have relationship with Him. That we are chosen by Him, elected by Him. Sweet friend of mine, is that a reality? Is that a reality? Hmm. That's how you can know. Uh, am I elected? Well, tell me about your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the only real question when we get down to it. That's the only way we can know. And you get that by reading the sermons, the scriptures over and over. All right, so this is the last sermon I have planned to take from this prayer. I'd like you please get a printed copy of it. You have it in the notes or, or print one yourself. Print it on a big poster board. And then do an interesting thing. Analyze it. I know it sounds cold, doesn't it? Like a cold hard fact. But you'll be amazed. And like, find out what words are repeated where. And then like words. What kind, of, what kind of words that are kind of alike or opposite, exactly opposite. Where are they repeated? How are they done? What concepts do you see in there? Which, which are the various concepts in the prayer? Figure that out. Uh, then figure out how does the teaching flow? How does it move? Does it, you know, is it moving back and forth? It's very common in Eastern type teaching to, to bring kind of a circle around to it. Does it do that? Draw arrows. You will be amazed at what you discover in this prayer. I, I, like I said, I think I could print, pray for, or preach for a year on this. Just this prayer. It's amazing what's in there. Study it. It's incredible. But mostly what you want to find out about it is, what's our relationship? Our relationship to Jesus Christ. To God the Father. 
God the Holy Spirit. What's our relationship? Find that out as you read through that again and again. I'd like to read through the entire prayer once again. I'm trying to remember all the various things that we've learned over the last few weeks. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you. And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also might be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known.
that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Wow. Hmm. Father, thank you so much. You gave your son. He willingly came. He was driven by the Spirit. For what purpose? Because before the world ever began, you chose us. For no reason in us, you chose us. And your solution for our sin, your solution for the peace of the persons we were, is the sacrifice of your son. And through that, you can bring us through. He can bring us through to eternal life. To you. Wow. We're so grateful that you've chosen us. We don't understand it. We don't even really like it necessarily. But you did. We like that we are chosen. Maybe we wanted to be more important in the thing. Maybe, I don't know. Help us to be grateful. Help us to draw close to one another. Help us to study your word so that we can be sure, absolute, see the evidence of what you have done in us and for us and will do for us and in us. Help us to show the world your love. That's what we're asking. We don't know who's amongst those you chose, but you know, if you brought them in front of us, maybe there's a good chance they're one of them. (laughs) Help us to show your love and our unity, which demonstrates your love. Help us, Lord, to do these things for you. In Jesus' name we pray.